0: So uh, before we get into uh, this sermon and this kingdom come, this message that Jesus has for us in the here and now, um, and, and, and he has it for us in the here and now because he cares about the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we speak, and he cares about this before he comes back, he wants us to live for him, and keeping our focus on Jesus, and, how, and letting him be concerned with how eternity will uh, play out. I'm going to ask you guys to stand in, before we look at this message to the Ephesians, and we're going to pray this prayer together, this glory to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So will you guys please uh, stand with me as we pray this, and then, and then I'm going to read it, and then we'll get into it. Read, so read this first part with me, please. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the hearers, readers, and keepers of this word. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first remember therefore where you have fallen repent and do the works that you did at first if not I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent yet this you have you hate the works of the Nicolaitans which I also hate he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to the one who conquers I will grant to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. I come to this passage in particular uh, very soberly. The last time I heard this passage preached in a church where I was as, acting as a pastor, I heard the Lord say this to me before I got on stage. He says, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand. And so I got up on stage and I told everybody. It was one of the weirdest moments that I've ever had after a sermon. And I didn't preach the sermon. And I said, we need to take this word seriously. And if we don't, God's going to remove our lampstand. And I knew it was prophetic, even though I knew I did not know how it would play out. I knew it was prophetic. And today that church is no longer around. And if you would have told me that that church wouldn't have lasted this long, I would have thought there was no humanly possible way that it it could have happened. But that church had its lampstand removed. The church that I grew up in, the church that I was raised in, the church where I fell in love with Jesus and sung songs to Jesus, is no longer around. God removed that lampstand. Every church plant with the exception of grace and mercy that I've been a part of is no longer around god removed that lampstand i've been a part of several churches and i've watched churches from my youth i I like churches i like i know i say i don't like church politics i don't like the acting out of church politics but church politics fascinate me and so i've watched and i've seen many many churches where god has come and removed their lampstand And I come to this passage and the other letters to the seven churches with this sober reminder. I want grace and mercy to last beyond my lifetime. It's not up to me, but I want it to last beyond my lifetime. Churches are important, but they are not important for their own sake or for their own namesake. They're not important for the sake of the pastor so that I just can come up here and preach and lead worship. They're not even for the sake, the churches are not even for the sake of the congregation. All these things are important because of who they represent. Jesus is telling us here how he would like us as a church to shine for him in this world. And this is important. This is important that we do it the way that He wants us to do it. The way with the attitude that He wants us to do it in. With the heart that He wants us to have. Or He'll remove our lampstand. This isn't a joke. It's not humans who do this. Although if people don't listen to Jesus, there, there is something they could do differently. And there is something that they could repent of. But this is a message to the churches from the Holy Spirit. I have seen, I'll I'll say this by way of reminder, because maybe you've seen this as well. I have seen churches where the lampstand wasn't like taken away in this negative sense, but there was a sense when the church closed, it was passed on to other churches. It was passed on to other churches. I think of my friend, Philip Miles, who passed a church on to other churches. And actually, it was a good thing. The church that he was a pastor in is, is no longer around. But at the same time, he's still pastoring in a different church. And the people in that congregation are thriving. And that congregation and that building is actually better reaching the community than he could have ever had. God didn't necessarily close it down. He passed the torch to this other place, and it was a beautiful thing. So I have seen both. But again, we come to this with a sober reminder that Jesus can shut this thing down in a heartbeat. He can shut it down in a heartbeat if we don't listen to him. And I want to listen to him. It doesn't matter if you love the church the mission their, mission, their particular mission, the people that are there, the preaching or the worship. The truth is what matters is that we gather together to worship Jesus. We are shaped by Him. We are instructed by Him. He will give us His grace, but sometimes grace looks like removal. Sometimes grace looks like for a season where you're just kind of left out there and God's calling you back. And this is a hard and sobering truth for all of us. Some scholars think that the church in Ephesus is no longer around. Those exact people who this was written to are not around. But we don't know if they repented or God shut it down. I don't know Ephesus. I didn't dig into this whole thing. Is that church still around? But we can see from church history that there are churches who repented and changed and got on the way that Christ had for them. And that there are churches that did not repent and change. We are called to be readers, and in reading we consider the Word that is placed before us as we are attentive to not only reading but hearing the words that are spoken to us, and then we are called to the actions that the Holy Spirit has for us. We do what He asks, and if we fail, it's not like the grace is ever going to run out, but there are consequences when we fall. And we fail to follow Jesus. These messages to the seven churches, think of it this way. They're prophetic utterances that stand the test of time. And this letter is not just written to the church in Ephesus, but it's written to us today as well, along with all the other churches that are there. These words are to be heard, but when we hear them, they get into our mind and our heart, and they're to be heeded. They offer correction. By the way, correction is a good thing, not a bad thing. We need to be corrected. We would do well to go along with the word that Jesus has for us today instead of fighting against it. We're not expected to be perfect. That's never the point. However, we are expected to listen. We're expected to listen. And as we as a church listen to the voice of God speak to us, Eugene Peterson calls churches listening outposts, which would suggest that as we listen, we are also willing willing and expectant to respond once we hear, once we know what to do, once we know how God wants us to act, how Jesus wants us to shine His light in this kingdom. Then we do that. And we don't need to be in haste, but we do get to be attentive. So I pray here today that we will listen. That we will listen to the prophetic utterance that that Jesus has for the church in Ephesus. And here in this letter, here in this letter to the Ephesians, we can see the good and the bad. We get encouragement and we get rebuke. We can see the heart of Christ as He delivers And and he desires for us the tree of life. He wants us to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. And if we read through the rest of Revelations, it's a beautiful picture of what that looks like. And we are encouraged here to do good. Amen. We can do good. Doing good things is good. We are encouraged to stay away from evil. Amen. Stay away from evil. What kinds of evils? All kinds. What about the kinds that we like? Yes, even those. Stay away from those. We are encouraged to endure with Christ. We are encouraged to endure with Christ, not only in this moment, not only at church, not only in those special quiet times that you have in the morning or afternoon or whenever you have them, but throughout the day and throughout our weeks, we are encouraged to endure with Christ. These are good things. But we're supposed to do these also, in a Christ-like manner. The Jesus life, the Jesus way. This church actually was a great model for us. They were a model church, the church in Ephesus. And, and you can read throughout scriptures, the church in Ephesus is one of the most recorded scriptures in the book of Acts, in the book of Ephesians, and first and second Timothy, were all had to do with the book of Ephesians. And this church was a good church. They were a model church. If you told me that there's a church down the street that's doing good works and they're staying away from evil and they're enduring with Christ, I would say yes and amen. Let there be more. Let there be more churches. They loved truth and acted in justice. They loved good theology. They loved good teaching. They loved good works. Think of... The, the, the goods that were all listed here, they had some toilsome works. So works that weren't easy for them, but still they did them and they toiled at them. They had patient endurance. I can think of like about a million different things that they could have had patient endurance for. It doesn't tell us, but they just endured patiently with people, one another, their love for one another. I love that they had a hatred for evil. This isn't talked about much, hatred for evil, because then we want to say, well, what is evil? And then everybody has their own list of evils. But hating evil is a good thing. It's a good thing that we hate evil and we stay away from it. And then they tested the spirits. So when something new would come up, something would happen in their hearts, they would say, is this from the Lord or is this from the enemy? Is this from the Lord that I should listen to, heed and obey? Or is this from... Something trying to get me off track. That's a beautiful thing, testing the spirits. We all need to do that. We need to do that with one another. Remember, this is a letter to the church in Ephesus, not to the individual person in Ephesus. And so they did this together, testing the spirits to see if they were good or evil. And then they would bear for Christ with his name and they didn't grow weary. They were never tired of doing things for Jesus they were never tired of representing jesus and these are all these things that we at grace and mercy church strive to be about amen we strive to be about these good things however the rebuke here that is offered overshadows any good that this church has done i don't believe here in in ephesus chapter 2, or, or, or Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7, I don't believe Jesus was using the sandwich method for compliment and then hard word and then another compliment. He wasn't doing that. He gets straight to the point. He wasn't offering compliments. He complimented on what they needed to be complimented on. But Jesus here started with the good, but he gets to the heart of the matter. He gets to the heart of matter. And the heart of the matter is, is at your knowledge, your theology, your endurance, your good actions are all useless if they're not done with love in your heart. This church forgot the love that they had at first. They were more in love with what they were doing. They were more in love with their good theology and their their good knowledge and their wise counsel and their good actions than they were with Jesus. They started out in love with Jesus and then they over time, they morphed into this thing where they acted out of duty rather than a heart filled with passion and love for Christ. The love that, that is used here, the word for love that is used for here is the word agape. And the word agape is the type of love that suggests priorities. They forgot their priorities. They forgot to line up their priorities. This church abandoned its priority of love for Christ for the cheap substitute of actions, even if they're good moral actions. In this, they abandoned their priorities. They abandoned the heart that they once acted with. Now I'll say this. Love is not about actions, but it does include actions. You can... Act out of duty rather than love. And yet, we as Christians, we get to be compelled by love. We as a church, we get to be compelled by love. Without it, Jesus just becomes rules to follow, doctrines to learn, good works to do, just moral justice, if you will, in a sense. Instead of serving Jesus from a heart filled with love for Christ, and if we do this, then we start to see and we start to do things as if Jesus was our taskmaster master, instead of the lover of our souls. And he is the lover of our souls. This is where I talk about this all the time. The difference between have to and get to. The difference between have to and get to has to do with a heart of love. And I'll, I'll use my marriage because it's a little simpler to explain it this way. Thinking about my my wife, Mo. Staying faithful to Mo is something that I get to do. I get to do it. I do it with joy. Because I haven't ever forgotten the love that I have for her, the love that like started back in 2007. We were reminiscing about this last night and it lasts until today. I haven't forgotten my love for her. I don't feel like staying faithful to her is something that I have to do that I'm trying to hold on tight to. I get to do this. I'm not like, oh man, i got to remember to stay faithful to Mo today. No, I just love her and that's what I do because that's who I am. My heart is invested in Mo and in our marriage because I get to do this. I get to do this. and We do the same thing with Christ. The same is with Jesus. We serve because we get to. We remember our love for Christ and let the love of Christ compel us to follow him. To walk with Him. There are moments that will be easier than others. And in those moments, we hold on or we remember some other aspect. But our love never goes away. And at the end of the day, it's the love of Christ that compels us to be who we are as a church. And do what we do as a church. Because we can do all these good things. And if we don't have love, then it is worthless we don't want to be worthless. And if we're worthless, then God's going to shut us down. And quite honestly, I don't want God to shut us down. I want us to continue on. This church here in Ephesus was loveless. They were heartless. They say that they hate heresies, which is good. They hate false doctrine. But they lived a heretical life. Meaning that love has not trick is not uh, transcended in their works. They didn't do the works out of love. They were doing the works out of duty and obligation. Maybe it was out of a little bit of like competitiveness in their own congregation. But they weren't being obedient from a heart of love. And to live a life of love is to live the life that Christ has for us. To live a life absent of love is to live a heretical life. The church abandoned its love for the sake of its own knowledge and the sake of its own duty. As if we can work our way into heaven. That sounds like karma, not grace. If we can work our way into the paradise of God's kingdom, Jesus wants us to rely on grace, not karma, not perfection, He wants us to rely on grace as he relied on his grace. He wants us to rely on grace and no longer the law, no longer just the rules that he's set up. Those are good to follow. We need to be obedient, but we don't be obedient for obedience sake. We do it from a heart of love and gratitude and willingness to live a life that Christ has called us to. We wanna grow in knowledge, amen? but we don't want our knowledge to puff up. We want to do good works, don't we? But we don't want good works to come in and be prideful in those. We want to do those out of a heart compelled for our love for Christ and not duty. Gaining knowledge is helpful, super helpful, but it's not transformative. Not transformative. You can know everything and have a heart that is cold. Gaining knowledge can also be contemning if it tangles us up in our pride that well we know better than they do, we know more than they do, so we must be better Christians. The Holy Spirit can um, is the one that transform us, not all knowledge. Even though knowledge and information is helpful in our change, it's the Holy Spirit that transforms us. As we are being renewed, our mind is being renewed, our works will be renewed, our heart is being renewed. As we gain knowledge and information, we'll be able to apply that to the heart that we already have and the works that God has for us. We'll be able to name the graces in our lives as well as the sins in our lives. We'll be able to repent more quickly and walk with Jesus more steadily because of these things. But it's not just about knowing if we don't live it out. We get to live this thing out. Think about when love is absent, what happens. I've started this sermon series by saying Revelation has been used by fear mongers for years. It's been used to scare us into the kingdom of God. And where love is absent, fear is abundant. Scared that we won't measure up. Scared that we're going to mess this whole thing up. This whole kingdom that God has to bring about. We're just going to mess it up. That he's going to remove our lampstand. And we're just going to be sitting here scared. Scared by the wrong thoughts about hell or sin. Or maybe getting some points of theology wrong. Let us live free from fear. Let us live free from fear and into the perfect love that Jesus has for us, that he's given us, because perfect love of Christ drives out all fear. And we get to live into that. The Nicolaitans that were mentioned here, we'll get into them in a couple of weeks. But there was a group, they were a group that distorted the truth of the gospel. They distorted truth. This is not new. It's, it's a very old thing. It happens all the time. Heaven forbid it's ever happened to grace and mercy, but it probably has. It didn't, the Nicolaitans didn't just exist back in the day, they also exist today. We don't know all the ways that they distorted the truth, but we know one way that truth is distorted in our churches is that it's all about your actions. Well, this is what love looks like. Just go do XYZ. Or it's all about the mind. Well, if you just come and you sit and we just give you all this information, those are false things. They're good things, both those things. Action and knowledge are good things. It could include actions and knowledge, but love is about so much more than these things. Love isn't this wishy-washy thing that doesn't really matter. It doesn't let someone do harmful things to themselves or others. But love is present in the midst of all of it. Love is available for everyone. It offers grace and a new start, not just for yourself, but for all those that we walk with. And this is what we get in Christ. This is what we offer others. The problem isn't the great stuff the church was doing. It is the fact that they love themselves and their good works and their good doctrine more than they love Jesus. And yet 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 serves as a reminder of love for us. If we speak in the tongues of angels, of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but i have not love i am nothing if i give away all that i have and i deliver it up my body to be burned so if i endured with christ forever and ever even to the point of persecution but i have not love i gain nothing these messages to the seven churches are sobering they are done out of love that christ has for us amen they are done by someone who sees someone who knows us it says jesus who walked around the seven lampstands he knows us he's present with the seven angels and the seven churches which means he's present with us today he is correcting us and calling us back to a heart of love not a life of duty He is calling us into a relationship, not into a religion. He is calling us to do these things. Because He first loved us, we get to love Him. Grace and Mercy Church, we've seen what happens if we don't repent. Let us repent and strive for the humility that it takes to just go, look, we're not going to get this right. We're not going to give everything right. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep returning to our first love, acting out of love instead of moral obligation, and keep walking in that way. Let us not get comfortable with our, our good works or our wonderful thoughts about justice or the thrill of hope or the, or the way that we do things. Let us not get caught up in that. Because I love the way that we do Grace and Mercy Church. I love this church but that doesn't mean that we've done everything correct or right and we get to repent get to repent because that's a part of love we admit when we're wrong and then we allow our hearts to be changed not just our actions to be changed and sometimes this happens immediately and sometimes this happens over time sometimes we need to just hold on one more day to not do that wrong thing and then the thought and the, the evilness will pass and sometimes we just get to walk in complete freedom. But we strive to live a life of love. We get to remember that in Jesus, we found a treasure that's worth so much that we'll give up everything for. And we totally believe that He is worth everything that we gave up. And we follow Jesus. We get to be in love with Jesus. We get to be obedient. And why wouldn't we be obedient to Jesus who gave himself for us so willingly? Jesus is great. Amen. It is not just what he did for us on the cross, although we love that. We love his broken body and his shed blood, and we are grateful for it, and we love him for this wonderful sacrificial act that we did, but we don't just love Jesus on the cross or Jesus resurrected. We love the totality of who Jesus is. As he was in the beginning, he is now and he will be forever and we love him for who he is. We love Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I pray that we can live out of this love. It's so much more joy-filled and peaceful than duty, isn't it? It's so much better to live out of love than to live out of fear. So grace and mercy, let us live out of love. Let our love be refreshed and renewed day by day, and let us not grow weary or or um, get so used to the fact that Jesus is in love with us that we forget that this love that we have in Christ. Let's fan the flames of love for Christ as we walk forward. Jesus, we pray that we may do this. We pray that we may hear your message and your word to us, that we may hear all the good things that you have for our lives, that we can act out of love and not duty. Lord, that if we have forgotten you as our love, that we may come back to that time and time and time again. Lord, just come back to the place where we love you and we sit at your feet and worship you because you are worthy of all our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.